Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. The Word of God this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 7. It's a very familiar passage. The title of the message is The Body of Christ. And uh, we're going to talk about the church I'd like to read the passage for you, and then we'll get right into it, all right? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. A.V., guys, I don't know if you you know, but the the confidence monitor is not showing me the slides at all. It's kind of dipped down to the bottom of the screen. I don't know if you could raise it a little bit. That would be helpful. I have a confession to make. Many of us, we had a pretty rough week. I had to radically realign my priorities this past week, and so I did a lot of studying and a lot of prayer, but I didn't actually start writing this sermon until I got home from a dinner invitation last night. But as I reflected on it, and I'm just going to be very honest with you, as I reflected on it, I feel like the experiences of this past week and the way I saw our church coming together was writing this sermon in real life. Because I found as I sat down and I said, Lord, tell me what to say, it all just started coming. There was such an overwhelming clarity of what God was calling me to say to all of you. And so that is the message that I have before you this morning. I'm going to start with the photograph. This is a photograph of the kitchen cabinet in our home where the cups and glasses are stored. Now, as in somewhat, it's, it's working now, thank you. As a somewhat anal retentive person, um, this cabinet has caused me a great amount of anxiety and a little tension in our home. 
Because as you can see, um, everything's a one-off, right? Um, something about that just troubles me. This is the Zen kitchen that I see in my fantasies, okay? This is what I see and dream of. This is what I have, okay? So you can imagine that with my personality and my disposition, it's challenging, to say the least. Now, when we have a calm and loving, gracious discussion about it in our home, Jeannie has a different take on that cabinet than I do. She says of each one of those things, each thing has a memory or an um, emotional attachment for one of our kids. Each has a specific function. This mug is for hot cocoa, whereas that mug is for coffee. This mug is Zoe's, and she needs it because it has her name on it. So, so there's a reason that each of those cups exists, and I hear it, I understand it, and yet it bothers me because I really want this. And as I look back on it, what I realize is, yes, God is a God of order. I think this picture reflects something of God, but this picture speaks to control. It speaks to order, but it also speaks to sameness and uniformity. And when it comes to people and the church, I really believe that there is something godly in Jeannie's view of cups and glasses. She values the diversity far more than I do. She's really okay with this. And I think that's very much how God feels about us. I think that God delights in the diversity of the church. I think he's really glad that when he looks at us, he doesn't see a bunch of stormtroopers, you know, like in Star Wars, all white and black, and just all look exactly the same. I know there are some snow stormtroopers and some red imperial guy. I know nerds are going to be like, they're not all the same. But there are only a few categories, and the ones in that category look identical to each other. Now, just look around. We often do this looking around exercise, but seriously look around at how completely different from you some of the people are that are sitting around you. Some people, just look at the way we dress, what you know of each other's personalities, taste in music, grooming habits. They're just, we're so different and yet when God looks at it, I don't think he's annoyed by that. I think he's really happy about it. And so I want to look at this familiar passage and consider together some of the things that God sees when he looks at the church, some things he feels very strongly. And the first thing that I want to talk about is this idea of unity and diversity as both being incredibly important for a healthy church. Look at what it says in verses 12 to 14, okay? For just as the, the body is one and has many members, and by the way, when you hear members, don't think Costco member or lifetime fitness member. Think like part of the body member, something physically attached to, to something else, okay? And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And so in this, these short um, verses, Paul is bending over backwards to say that there are two things that seem opposite of one another, and they always live in tension in the church. That there is meant to be something profoundly one about us, but at the same time, there must always be very carefully guarded this radical diversity in the church. 
We're not supposed to look exactly like each other, but we're supposed to have a very profound oneness, and both things must be true of the church and held in tension. So I've got a question for you. Why are we so different? I mean, what is the point of diversity in the church? Why does God allow us to be so different from the person sitting next to us? Well, remember that this text immediately follows what, we pre- what I preached about last time we were, I was preaching about the spiritual gifts. Remember what I was saying there? Was that um, a spiritual gift is a way in which God reveals or manifests himself to the world. In other words, through your spiritual gifts, through your life, God is bursting out of the invisible spiritual realm and showing up in the visible world. Put another way, people would not get a full picture of what God looks like if it were not for the people God inhabits manifesting Him. Does that make sense to you? And so if that's a spiritual gift, if that's one of the primary functions that you and I have as human beings who follow Jesus, then one of the reasons that God permits and delights in our diversity is because it takes all of us together to reveal this God who is infinite who has so many facets, so many sides to him. I only have four children, but I see how each of them puts on display to all of you different facets of my personality and Jeannie's personality, both the good and the bad. When you look at my children and study them like an anthropologist, you will come to understand me and my wife a little bit better. Now, God is far more infinite than I am, and as a result, it takes all of us together to begin manifesting Him to the world. Only Jesus in human form can fully manifest God who is infinite. Apart from Jesus, it takes all of us together to give the world a picture of this great God that we love and serve. So each of us manifests a different aspect of God. That's why your uniqueness isn't just uh, a, a variance, it's a part of God's design. It is so important. Some of you manifest to the world God's diligence. What it means when, you, when we say we work, we work hard. You know that you can right away think of someone in the church who embodies that for you. Some of us, we embody God's creativity. When I hear the word creativity, I often think of, of um, Sonny or Mary Choi, people who, who, when I ask them something, they come up with some interesting way of doing it. And, I, and there are people in my life who are creative. They embody this, uh, I see something that no one else sees, and I'm going to show it to you. Some people, they exhibit or manifest God's compassion. For others, His rock-like strength, no matter what happens, they are steady. They just are not moved into trouble. Some people manifest, and this is something we don't talk much about, but they manifest God's profound sense of humor. Do you know that I think when we hang out with God in heaven... He's going to make us laugh a lot. You know, we think it's going to all be like scolding and lecturing. Yes, and then tell me how you formed the universe and what is the meaning of I think God's going to be cracking jokes. I think God might even ask you to pull his divine finger one of these days. And some of us are revealing this about God. Like as we delight in laughing and making others laugh, we picture God to the world. Everything that is delightful and good in us points to something delightful and good in God. And it takes all of us together to picture God to the world. That is why it is so important 
we fiercely guard the value of our diversity and not try to create a, a, a very oppressive external culture that says everyone be the same. I would hate it if we were all the same. Last night, we were invited to someone's home at, at Harvest for dinner. And as we were eating it afterwards, we sat around and told stories. Told stories of how husband and wife met each other. Told stories of how we were called into ministry. And as I'm listening to us share our stories, here's what was happening. I realized even through our, the story, the testimony of our life's twisted journey, I see the many ways, interesting ways, in which God works and moves in people's lives. I, I love my own story. I own my story. I delight in it. I'm thankful to God beyond belief for my story. But then I hear someone else's story and I think, that is unbelievable. Who would expect God to work like that? Through a stranger in a grocery store who starts talking to, a, to somebody. I mean, there's just so many interesting ways that God decides to show up. And you go, wow, when I hear your story, God becomes even bigger than when I just think about my story. And do you realize, even without any special talent, just opening your mouth and saying, this is who I am and the journey I've been on will reveal something profoundly interesting about God to other people. Sometimes your story, even of struggle, will help someone else realize they are not alone in the wrestling match that's going on in their heart. And they'll draw comfort from that. Our diversity, though, only glorifies God when it's coupled to our unity. Do you understand that? I cannot skimp on that. Our diversity only glorifies God when it's coupled to our unity. And so it's great that we're all different, but if we're not deeply committed to, to our oneness in Christ, to our unity with each other, then our difference is going to really start to cause problems. When the oneness we have in Christ does not hold great value in our hearts, I'm going to start looking at you and going, what is your problem? You think you're so cool. You're, oh, there he goes. And that's going to start happening all the time if the unity of the church isn't one of the things we fiercely guard and prize, then our differences are going to really start to grate on our nerves, aren't they? The truth is, some of us, when, when we're not at our best, it's the diversity here that we find most challenging. Why can't everyone be normal like me? I got news for you, brother. You're not anywhere close to normal. There is, in fact, I think, no such thing as normal, except me. <clears throat> now, Paul goes on in this passage to point out two very common human responses to diversity. Every time you introduce variance into a human system you're going to get one of two very common responses from the human heart to that diversity. And, the fir- and, and I, <clears throat> I think the way Paul talks about them, he says, we are like a body, this church. We're like a body. And these two unhealthy responses to diversity are like poisons or toxins that really hinder the body and hurt it. And the first poison is the poison of insecurity. Let's face it. Whenever we're in a group where not everybody has exactly the same things in exactly the same amount, one of the common paths we will take in our humanity is to become insecure. We begin comparing ourselves to the others we see. And for some people, they're wired in such a way that the first place their heart and mind goes is, dang, everyone else has more than me or 
Everyone else has better stuff than me. As we look at the diversity around us, our eyes are focused on, guided towards those examples where someone else appears to be better off, more blessed than I have been. And as I make that observation, something begins to well up in me. It makes me wonder, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? What's wrong with the world that when I compare myself to others, I come up short? How come everyone else seems so happy and I can't find happy anywhere? How come he's so tall and I'm like this? How come they have such an easy time with this and we struggle for every millimeter of progress we make? And, you know, we look around and we make all these comparisons and that's ultimately where it begins is we look at life through the lens of comparing And so Paul gives a rather silly illustration of talking body parts to make his point, okay? If the foot is saying, basically, here's what he's saying, okay? Um, We've got a foot that's going, dang, if only I were a hand. If only I were a hand. I mean, my toes only bend this much. The hand, like, grabs stuff. If only I were a hand. And then we've got the ear going, man, if only I were an eye. If only I weren't. And, and what's going on in these talking body parts is through the silly illustration, we are seeing the many faces of insecurity pictured for us, right? As you study these words that are being spoken by these body parts, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And Paul is addressing this head on. He says, look, when you see this and you begin comparing, do you realize the different faces of insecurity? I just thought about a couple one of them is envy and discontent. It's, it's where we say, aww. One of my kids makes that sound a lot. Aww. I wish I had what they got. Here's another face of insecurity. A sense of worthlessness. Aww. I got nothing to offer. Here's another one. Bitterness. Everybody gets better stuff than me. Everybody gets better stuff than me. Why does God hate me so much? The last one is withdrawal from community. I just can't do this anymore. I can't be here around these people because everywhere I look, I see people better off than me. It's too painful. Your life, your face is a reminder to me of everything I don't have. Time, I just can't do it anymore. I got to leave. And so we find ourselves either emotionally or physically withdrawing from community Because we cannot get past this lens of comparison. And in every comparison, I come out the loser. And it's destroying me from inside. That is a very unhealthy, would you agree? An unhealthy but understandable response to the diversity around us when we are stuck in the comparing game. When you see life as a competition and everybody is either a winner or a loser, this is the despair and instability that starts to settle upon your life. And so Paul then introduces a truth that's important for us to know. He says, look, here's the cure for insecurity is to realize that even though you don't have what they have, you are essential to the plan of God. 
And this is not just a little pep talk. Come on, Johnny, you go for it. You're, you're important and everybody loves you. It's not a false kind of thing. He's saying, listen, foot, if you are like the hand, we would be chimps. Do you realize that we, we need our feet to be the way that they are? Do you realize how important it is that you have your uniqueness? That you're part of a design where the reason you're here... And verse 18, by the way, is an incredibly important verse at our church. It's one that we really want to drum up and reinforce again and again. Look at what it says in verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. What that means is you are not here because you found a website and chose to be here. That's part of the mechanics God used to get you here. But the reason you are here is because we were missing you and you fit that part. Aren't you glad that we have people in our church who really care a lot about recycling? Because some of us don't care at all about recycling. I know, I'm, I'm staring in horror as you take this big plastic bottle and go, garbage. And I'm like, what? But some of us care and others don't, and we balance each other out. It's absurd for us to be upset that not everyone cares about what I care about, likes what I like. There are people who, who instead of saying, thank you, God, for giving me an evangelist heart, they walk around all day going, nobody here cares about evangelism. Nobody here cares. This church is so not evangelism. I'm like, you care? You care about it? Why don't you shine? Huh? Why don't you be our evangelist? If you were gone, then it's true. No one would care about evangelism. But as long as God brought you here, someone at this church cares, obviously, because it is so agitating in your spirit. Why don't you churn the waters with that? Why don't you do what you are uniquely shaped to do? When you have something in your nose that needs extraction, my good way of saying boogers, when you got a big booger, you know the stubborn, dried up kind that's just stuck like drywall back there? Aren't you glad you don't have ten thumbs? Praise God for the pinky. And praise God for the fingernail. TMI? I don't care. I, you guys all pick your noses. Don't act like I'm the only one. And at that moment, are you not so happy you wouldn't have ten of these guys? Oh, this is really difficult. Do you realize that the pinky gets very little airtime only if you're Korean and need to make a promise or you've got to extract something from the nose. But when it's needed, thank God it's there. See, we, have, we spend so much time and energy frustrated that the rest of the body isn't like me when in fact what we should be celebrating is thank God I'm here. You guys need me to be here. God's design is it's flawless, it's perfect. It requires each one of us. It requires each one of us to be here. Your uniqueness is not a design flaw. It is central to the design of the church. And that's why when we say, please serve, it's not just because we need more hands filling sandbags or pulling the rope. It's because until you serve, until you get involved, we won't know what it is that you are supposed to be here for. It is as you serve that you put on display God's wisdom for making you a part of this church. 
That's the way it works. And if you've just been watching, then we have yet to see the full wisdom of God for making you you and putting you among us. Here's a second poison that Paul points out, a very common response to diversity. And that's the other path. You have one or two paths. Insecurity, the aww, or the path of pride. When, when in our culture did this become like a gesture? Yeah. It's so useful. It's so indicative of what you're feeling, right? I mean, it's, it's all me, everyone. Look at me. I'm the man. And that, that, that thing, is so, it so speaks to the spirit of the age in which we live. All glory to me. Hail me. God bless me. Thank me for me. I did that. Awesome. I, I, I love me. That's the second common response to diversity. You look around, you go, oh, man. I'm coming out smelling like roses. Look at all these people. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Well, him, maybe, he might be a threat. I've got to watch him. He's, he could be a contender. That, nah, afraid. And we're, we're looking at the world like this. And let's just face it, if we're really honest, that's exactly how some of you still look at the whole world. It's a competition, and the aim is to win. And so you can't help it. You look at everyone in terms of the pecking order. Are you a winner or a loser compared to me? I told you all I used to go to these pastor's conferences, and after they asked me my name, the next question was, how big is your church? And when I said 100, 150, they would be, oh, okay, cool, dude. I'll teach you a few things. And when I lied and said 2,500, they're like, teach me. Do you see how we are? Even pastors, it's so sad. So forgive me, God, for lying, but every time a pastor asked me that, I lie. It was like 15,000, 2,500. I don't care. If that's what you want to hear, let me just tell you a lie. Scratch that itching ear. I feel like we have 20,000 strong heart lies. Amen? You're like David's mighty man. Each one of you is worth 20 of others, all right? So that's how I feel. So I'm kind of not lying. So Paul then gives another silly illustration of talking body parts. He says, man, the eye's like, Psh, we don't need you, hand. Whatever. And the head says, thank God I'm not a foot. Smelly, full of fungus, always touching the floor. Gross. And so we got this silly illustration of talking body parts where the net effect of their evaluation is, thank God I don't stink as much as that other part. Right? Thank God. Thank God. That attitude is so common among the other half of people who engage in the game of competition and comparison, and they like that game because they keep winning. But they like it because the measuring standard is the one that they are already winning, and they, they weight the thing by their advantage. It's like the tall person who always wants to be in tall cost, tallness contests. Right? I, I might need to see a therapist. I got this issue about my height. <clears throat> it's like the beautiful person who's always wanting to be around things where beauty is valued. The smart person who always wants to, sh- to have these conversations at the tavern about things where, and they study up. They, don't, they act like they just always knew these things, but they're on Wikipedia. Because <sighs> they love winning. And they engage only in the contest they're sure to win. It's like the guy who only plays the sports he's good at, and you go, hey, let's go play lacrosse. 
nah, I'm tired. I... Answer is, I've never played lacrosse. I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to get beamed in the head because I'm a jock. Is that you? Do you look at life and you see the diversity and the way you're organizing your mind is, thank God I'm not that person. Thank God I'm not like them. Thank God that on all these important standards of measure, I come out a winner. I'm pretty good. Yeah, I lead people to Christ. I read my Bible. I'm, I play with my children. I pay my taxes. I, and we're, we're looking at ourselves and we thank God I look better. And in that response, in these two talking body parts, Paul reveals the many faces of pride. And one of those faces is apathy and disinterest towards the lesser. Yeah, you know, your life, yeah, okay. Ho-hum, whatever. You're like trying to talk to somebody who's categorized you as beneath them, and you know they're not going to remember anything you just said because you're not on the radar, man. It's like when I, when I meet some um, celebrity. Most of the celebrities I meet are celebrity pastors. And I'll catch them five minutes after they just talked to 10,000 people. And I'm like, hey, great to meet you. And then I'll talk to them. And I'm, I could see it in their eyes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, God bless you. Uh-huh. All right. I'm like, hey, man. Do I matter? I mean, I know you're famous and you wrote books. But for two seconds, could you look at me like maybe I'm, I'm there? I really need to see a therapist, I think. <clears throat> Another face of pride is individualism and isolation, which is another way of saying withdrawing from community for different reasons. Right? <clears throat> the I says to the hand, I don't need you. I can do everything all by myself. The individualism that says, I actually will ask you for help just the way a parent says, hey, um, Zoe, will you help me bake brownies? You know that that's not, you know, that's a little help, but mostly it's more cleanup, right? But we want to give them experiences. So we say in our hearts, do you want to help me? But really we're thinking it'd be so much easier if I just did it myself because I'm better at it than you. But I'll work with others for their benefit. Never because it actually helps me. Never because I actually need anyone. But whatever I do with you is for your sake. To give you the gift of me and my meanness for you. Here's another face of pride. Misguided self-reliance. An actual belief that I really don't need anyone else. Some of you have this right now. In your heart of hearts, you truly, actually believe that you'll turn to people, you'll let people help you, but in your mind you're convinced you don't actually need them. If they were all gone, you'd still make it. Come on, man. All you could disappear... I'll be Will Smith and I am legend, man. I'll hold up in there. I'll kill them zombies. I'll be eating, hunting. I'll be just fine. No, you'd be the one. You'd be Will Smith crying in the video store, hugging a mannequin. That's who you'd be. Here's the last face of pride that I can think of is devaluation and insensitivity. Not just an apathy or disinterest, but you look at other people and say, well, you know what? Your stuff, your struggles are so petty. You're living the whole thing at a lower level. And you just go, wow, what's it like to be you? It must be so hard to let basic arithmetic be so challenging. I mean, 
some of us are up here doing calculus and it's cute and you're up, but, and we look, it's that pride that looks down at others and goes, what's it like to struggle so with small things? And when we have that heart, something really bad starts to happen to the body. When one part says to the other parts, actually, if we're all honest about it, everyone knows that I'm more important than you. Have you ever played the game of Denny's in the middle of the night? If you had to go deaf or blind, which one would you pick, right? And we're, so we, we prioritize, we make a hierarchy of all the parts of the body that are most indispensable, and which one would you first cut off? You know, uh, was it Dante who wrote that great challenge that, that um, give me a pound of flesh. If you had to take a pound of your own body and cut it off, which part would you cut off? It's gross. But we do this all the time. And so here's what Paul's saying is, Do you realize that if you have that heart, then the body begins by definition to fall apart? Because when one part of the body says it doesn't need the other parts, it is not speaking the truth. It is speaking out of a misguided understanding of the truth. It will never be true that you don't need anyone else. It will never be true. If you believe it, you're wrong. Buy me lunch and I'll convince you of it slowly over good food. It will always be wrong when you feel that you don't need anyone else. And so Paul gives a rather interesting illustration to prove the point when he talks about the parts of the body that need a little special treatment. There's a lot of fancy Bible language here in these verses that follow. Let me break it down a little more in my style, okay? He's talking about if we stood you up in front of this room and pull off all your clothes... Which parts would you instinctively cover up first? How many of you would be like, oh, dang. Ooh, that was close. You almost saw my eyes. Ooh, glad I covered my mouth. Come on. You know where your hands would go, right? And he's saying, this is the way it works. You may say to yourself, eh, I don't need you, hand, until you realize you're exposed and suddenly The privates really need that. Come on, cover us for crying out loud. Do something. We need each other. The parts that are more requiring of modesty need those parts that are on display all the time. What he's trying to prove by all of this illustration is to say this satanic deception that we don't need each other, that there are parts of the body more valued than the others is wrong. Because life will throw you situations all the time that will awaken you to how profoundly we need each part of the body. I hope that never happens to you. That you and that was actually my dream last night. I dreamt that I was in high school. I don't know what's going on with me. But I dreamt that I walked into my classroom and a lot of you guys were in this classroom and only the people from Harvard were sitting in their desks with no shirts on. Going, hey, I'm like, what? What? And I looked and I, there I was. I hope that never happens to you, but if it does, each part of the body will know instinctively what to do. And the hand will serve the whole body by acting as a fig leaf, won't it? Are you with me? There's no truth to this idea that some parts are more important more valued 
more critical than the others. And so he says, this is the cure for pride, is to see the church through the eyes of God. That this is not some great pageant or competition in which each body part is every man for himself, and God will at the end go, well, I give the gold sticker to the hand. He was the handiest of all of them. And it's not like that. He says, no, God doesn't even see the competition at all. What he says is all of you together must become a body. Until you stop competing and start living together, showing a profound and deep connection and concern for each other, this body will be dysfunctional. It won't work. When you're having a heart attack, your lungs don't say to the heart, it sucks to be you. The whole thing suffers. And that's what he meant when he said, look, If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. The cure for pride is to see the church, the family, the marriage through the eyes of God. To realize that the game we're playing is a game that no one can win. It doesn't even matter. God simply does not look at us the way we look at us. He said, I really don't care which one of you thinks you won or lost. The only victory is when you come together and you become a body. So as we wrap up, he says, and I don't have the slide for it, in verse 27, so simply this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Why does it matter that we root out of our church the twin poisons of insecurity and pride because both of those poisons end up having the same effect on the body? They cause us to shut down, to withdraw, to disconnect so that we amputate and sever this body into its component parts and we don't function. It shuts down our ability as the church to reveal the great wisdom of God, the many facets of who He is, His very complex and infinite personality. We cannot reveal God if we are a fractured body, and both of those poisons will destroy what we're about. Whether it's the paralysis and shutdown from insecurity, or whether it's the arrogant isolation of pride, if you're succumbing to either one of those things, you are tearing this body apart. And we need to repent of that and seek the Lord's remedy. That if you feel paralyzed by insecurity, you need to take in faith the word of God that you belong here. You are called here precisely because of what you're like. Until you bring that, we'll never see the full wisdom of God in this church. If you're struggling through pride, you need to hear the words of God in faith. That there is not a single member of the body more valued in God's eyes than another. But what he values is the whole body actually working. Let me finish by telling you why that matters. Because think about what it says in the very beginning of it all. There is a head who is Christ. And we are the body. The body must work because the head has plans. Here's another way of saying it. We together as a church, his body, are the the means by which God has chosen to work 
and reveal himself in the world. In fact, we seem to be the primary way in which God seems to want to work in the world. And when this body is broken, you just cannot see everything that's inside. I've complained to many of you privately, now I shall do so publicly. The grieving process I'm going through because of the ligaments that I've torn in my ankle and in my knee on the left side, in my heart, I am a gazelle. I, I mean, I've always seen myself running fast. That's how I picture me. And every time I forget about all this badness, and I, like an idiot, begin running, my body groans and reminds me, it isn't all working. The foot bone ain't connected to the calf bone, man. It's like, it's, something's wrong. The shin bone and the foot bone are held together by a little piece of yarn. And the body does not do what the head glories in. I close my eyes, I see it still. And it just, I can't begin to tell you the pain. And I'm not joking about it. The pain of thinking, I'll never run like that again. I'll never feel that feeling again until heaven. Can you imagine the weight on the heart of Christ? The glorious picture he sees for our world. And his body won't move. Let's not be that body. By the grace of God, let's get it together. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.